You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. On fourth and five, Jones steps up, takes off, he's in, touchdown! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey Grump, how's it going? It's been a, an exhausting week with so much going on. You know, we have multiple sets of playoffs with all of our favorite teams who listen to this show. You know, Knicks, Nets, hockey, all of this stuff. Uh, I've been to about five sporting events in the last seven days. I got five more this week in three cities. So, but it is always time to talk New York football giants with you. Especially our favorite, one of my favorite segments of the season we're starting tonight. That's right. This is the start of our uh, schedule preview. So this is where we look at each game for what it is, where it stands in the year, and uh, how the teams match up as of this summer. And we give a way too early pen or pencil victory or loss for each game. And it's a, it's, it's a fun little exercise. It doesn't mean anything. But it's especially fun to revisit when the real season comes around and we're cut down to 53 guys and what our reasons were for you know win or loss and how it stacks up to how things actually went down. So this is a, this is a fun exercise. It's a nice summer exercise. And today, today, Memorial Day was like the first day that was like Memorial Day weather. It was like summer weather because the whole week yeah. was garbage. I was at the uh, American League East winning Tampa Bay Rays uh, beating of the Yankees today. Uh, shout out to Justin from the uh, Talking Giants pod. We, uh, we got to meet up today and say hello, so that was fun. Um, by the way, if you've never seen him do the YMCA uh, dance, it's quite a treat. It, it, it's worth the price of admission on its own. So next time you're at a Yankee game and you see that happening, tell him I sent you. Um, I think he yeah, might but, yeah. be getting just as well known for his like videos of dances as he is for the podcast. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, between that and the wave going around Yankee Stadium, it was like being a Studio 54. Unless, <laughs> except you wanted to probably take more drugs after seeing all that. But it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, uh, it, was, it was fantastic weather finally today. And, uh, you know, as the weather heats up, that means we start thinking about training camp when it's really hot in those first couple games when you boil out there at, at, uh, the, at the Meadowlands. Um, one, one thing we do, one thing we want to say when we're talking about how we do our review, when we talk about how we uh, mark them in pen or pencil, that's not our prediction of if it's going to be a beating or a close game. So if we say like, oh, the Giants will win this one and mark it in pen, that doesn't mean they're going to win sixty-eight to nothing. That's our confidence that we will win. You know, if we say, oh, Giants in pencil, eh. We think they're going to win, but we're not too positive. It's, so it's not saying it's going to be a you know, 24-23 game. It's just we feel good about it, but you know, we wouldn't go to Vegas and bet on it. So just a little heads up on when we say something's in pen and pencil. That's what we're referring to. Yeah, and you'll see it as we go through this. We're going to remind each in, in, in each episode that we do this as we're breaking this down in groups of four. It's going to come out uneven this time. Oh, what a pain. What a pain with this like extra game. Oh, I, everything that I take for granted is ruined. Oh, I hate having to have more football to watch all year. <laughs> That's the worst thing in the world we can have. I agree. No, um, 
Yeah, so for each episode that we do this, we'll remind you, but you'll see, you know, we'll, we'll say that it's going to be a close game, but I'm, I'm positive it's going to go, I'm really sure that we're going to win this game, I just don't think it's going to be a blowout, so this will be a win and pen, something like 20-17. to 17. That, that will come up as we do this, and so, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll understand that it's just a matter of our confidence that it's going to be a win, not uh, a matter of blowout or close game. So, right. without further ado, let's jump right into it. The game that I'm probably the most excited for this year, uh, week one, because we get to go. And it's home against Denver at 425. The Broncos come to town with, I assume, Drew Locke. Oh, that's the other thing when we do this. We are assuming this these games based on the rosters before us. So we're not going to say, like, oh, well, if Aaron Rodgers is traded to Denver, then it's going to be, no, we're not doing any of that. This is just, and we're, and we're also doing it, assuming what we believe the roster will be throughout the season. We're not going to do the, you know, we get to week 13. Oh, well, we're going to guess that the quarterback's out for the year or something happened. We're, we're going to, you know, just say, full you know, based on what only. We're, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So full strength is the only thing that we're going to predict. Um, so with Denver coming to town, tell me what you think, how you feel about this game. I'm excited. <laughs> I know. I, I think, you know, none of the real magazines or anything have come out yet, like for, with the predictions for the year and everything. But I think, you know, a lot of the scuttlebutt from people and you look at the Vegas odds are that, you know, they believe that the Giants, well, have made some improvements, think they've gone for broke too early and are very nervous about Daniel Jones. They think he's a major impediment from this team making any real advances. And I think that this team is going to be underrated and looked over early in the season. I I, I absolutely do. Um, You know, some things I see some mock drafts having us picking fourth or fifth next year. So it's like, you're telling me with all the improvements that this team made, we're going to finish worse than we did last year. Like all of a sudden we're going to be a four and 12 team. Uh, does that make any logical sense? I mean, other than just media members who are pairing each other and, you know, taking pleasure out of shitting on another New York team, it makes no logical sense. So having that come into mind, I, I see Denver coming in here first game of the year. I think Denver might even be possibly slightly favored in this game coming in. And I'm going to go ahead and put this as a giant win in pen. I, I, I think this is a game where – People will completely not expect the Giants to play as well as they potentially will play in this game. I think Daniel Jones, I think, you know, we know it's a now or never year for him, but I think this is a year he's going to, I think he's going to start off this year looking pretty decent. And I, I, I think this Denver team, you know, until we understand, know what the quarterback situation is going to be, I'm not ready to book any playoff plans for them later on in the year either. So I think, you know, the games at home, it's a 425 start. Crowd will be tailgating all day. The crowd that will be there, again, remember, hasn't been to a giant game in over a year, is bursting at the seams to see their favorite team play. There's optimism, real optimism in this team for the first time in several years. I think that's going to help. Denver's not a team like Pittsburgh coming in here or one of the NFC East is going to bring you know 20,000 fans with them. This will be a vast majority giant crowd and I think they're gonna win this thing. I think it'll be kind of a lower scoring game, but give me a giant win, something like 
24-17. And the crowd chanting Daniel Jones at the end of the game. Yeah, so you hit on a lot of things here. And, you know, when you start the year one and one, um, and that's, you know, with a week one win and then a week two loss, feels so much better than starting one and one with a week one loss and a week two win. It still feels like you're playing catch up. When it's one, when you're one and one after you won week one, it feels like week two was kind of a fluke or you stumbled a little bit, but you still feel good about it. You feel less, at least I think, as a fan, you feel less well, good making that win your second week. Yeah, I think it, I think it makes more things about the fan than inside the building. I think inside yes. the building they're pretty insulated for it. I don't think they necessarily. I mean, they're professionals. They've all been through this. They, you know, they take it. They know it's a longer time. season. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean fans, specifically the fans. Giant fans, you know, you can see the storylines already if they lose to Denver. You can see the how many years in a row have they started 0-1. How many years they've been 0-2 out of the last 10. You know, all the money they spent in the offseason. If Daniel Jones hasn't – I mean, it's fair to say if they lose this game, Daniel Jones more likely than not will not have played well. So all of a sudden, that storyline will pop up. If Saquon Barkley only has 10, maybe 15 touches of the ball because they're bringing him back slowly but cautiously, that's going to be a storyline. You know, if, if Kenny Galladay drops a pass or if Andrew Thomas blows a block, these are stories that have already been written. They're in the queue, ready to hit send and going out to the world. So they win that game. All of those articles get thrown in the garbage. There are, you know, now the writers actually have to think for themselves about a new topic for week two. And it just takes, it's a, it's a psychological yoke that's taken off your shoulders as a fan. So it's, it's big. <laughs> I mean, it probably means more for us as fans than it probably does for the team. Um, but so that's, it's one of the most important games of the season is week one, just to how, how are we going to feel going into the next month and, our outlook for the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, I, I've been watching games from last year because a lot of the criticism from Daniel Jones' first year was the amount of times he fumbled, whatever. Then in his second year, you know, the fumbles went down, but then it came down to a stat line. How many touchdowns did he throw? He didn't throw a lot. That doesn't mean that he played poorly. It means that the offense was just not a throwing offense. I mean, literally, they were not even really trying to throw in the red zone. Like, no pass it's, it's not well, I mean, Daniel Jones' fault. He actually played pretty well last year. I was watch, re-watching some games where, you know, he didn't throw often, but he was on the money, he was calm in the pocket, and, you know, made the right reads. It's He was fine. So a lot of the heavy lifting of his development was taken care of already. Now there's going to be a lot of polishing and a lot of yes. things around around the margins, you know, some of the ball control issues, some of the making smarter decisions in the red zone maybe, things like that where it's just going to take reps and practice. A lot of things like footwork and stuff and you know, a lot of that's been kind of cleaned up already. Now it's just those finer you know, refining those points to make him not from a quarterback who's just trying to gasp for air, but actually a guy who's in command of everything and doesn't have to think anymore. Well, there's and, that and the fact that he actually has people to throw to now. Sure, and people I'm, to block for him and people to run for him. Yeah. Big, but big difference. With that said, 
I have a feeling the Daniel Jones storyline may still be a thing. I'm calling this one a win in pencil, uh, but I think the long-awaited explosive offense that was built over the offseason is likely to be tempered a little bit. I expect a few downfield shots to be taken, especially if Ronald Darby is playing corner instead of Sertain or Fuller, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, to, to Galladay, who can out-muscle, or, or to Tony or Ross, who can take the top off of defense. But Denver has a really good pass rush, uh, and that's going to be a problem for what is still a shaky offensive line. There's not been a lot done to that. So I expect the Giants to attempt to wear down uh, a modest defensive line with a steady dose of Booker and Barkley before taking any shots deep. They're going to try and slow down the pass rush they're going to try and, you know, make Von Miller, you know, think a little bit, make him have to play the run, make the linebackers suck up a little bit. They're not going to leave Andrew Thomas and Matt Pear on an island with Von Miller with Daniel Jones taking seven-step drops, I don't think. But on the defensive side of the ball, I think the Giants are going to have a huge advantage. Drew, Drew Locke is better than most fans give him credit for, but he still stinks at this point in his NFL career. And, you know, with nothing but Jerry Judy and Noah Fant and a bunch of meh targets to throw to, I I think a heavily fortified secondary that the Giants have, a newly constructive defensive front, is likely to be way too much for Denver offensively. I'm putting this one as a win in pencil, though, uh, just because it's the first game of the year. And that that, that defensive line... Uh, not the defensive line. The outside linebackers for Denver is... That's going to be the big matchup to watch. Yeah, you know, you said the uh, they didn't do much for the offensive line. The biggest thing that happened to this offensive line is a lot of the young guys got to go through a whole offseason. Yeah, and well, that and that, I mean, they didn't do anything personnel-wise, but the staff is better now. I mean, you've got Pat Flaherty come in, Robert Sale comes in from Louisiana Lafayette. You know, those are big things they did for the offensive line, but roster-wise, we're looking at the same people. And also, you know. Everybody's going to be very quick to criticize and make fun, but Nate Solder is back. Yeah. And he's he's going to be fighting maybe to be the starting right tackle. And if even if he's not the starting right tackle, he's still going to provide some depth for this line, you know, because you can stick him anywhere. I mean, if uh, Andrew Thomas goes down for a play or a series or a quarter or a game, he could always slip back over to the left side and play there if necessary, which before we didn't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, the improvements on the margins for this offensive line, but I just think having, you know, having Andrew Thomas play a whole, you know, have a whole off season of going being in the program, I think is really really going to help. And you know, it, it, some of these guys, it's kind of sugared off the pot pretty soon. Guys like Will Hernandez who have to step up. You know, they, they you know the the writings on the wall for guys like these that they better start performing or they're going to be gone. So I, I think that sense of urgency is going to help guys like him as well. Yeah, and like I said, I think you just have better staff, too. Pat Flaherty yeah. is a great offensive line coach. Robert Sale, you know, Louisiana Fayette was not coming out with three draft-worthy running backs without a good offensive line approach. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. Right. So, you know, it, it, that's not a coincidence. So, not only does he have a full offseason, but A, he, you assume he's going to go through a whole season with regular coaching and not a coaching switch, and B, better coaches to begin with, in my opinion. Hey, let me ask you something. You just mentioned that, you know, assume there would be coaching switches. You know, we saw kind of a quick hook last year, you know, shuffling of the offensive line coaches and everything. Do you anticipate 
going forward, Joe Judge is a guy who might have a quick, quicker trigger with coaching personnel during a season if he doesn't like, or do you see that, you know, now there's a little more stability now that he's got his feet wet. It's not as crazy of a year, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, I think that's a unique situation. I think, I think the two of them butt heads philosophically for a long time. And I think that he didn't hire Mark Colombo. Mm-hmm. And so that led to all of that. I think that, um, if somebody he hired and him have, a uh, I think if he hired somebody, philosophically, they're on the same page. If there's some disconnect, it's something else that does not warrant, you know, an argument that's going to escalate to the point of a midseason firing. You know, okay, I, just, I just don't see that as long as it's a guy he hires, right? And I think mm-hmm. that he has earned his salt in the last year with with the front office, not necessarily with us, the fans, or whatever. But he's earned enough of their trust to do more of that. I think they trust his hiring now. I thought for a guy in his first year who would really never coached anywhere before at that level as a head coach to show a lot of uh, chutzpah, mm-hmm. I guess is the word. Yeah, you yeah. know, someone – no, seriously. I mean, no, you're right. Yeah, That's a great word. Um, but, you know, a little bit of uh, – you know, I'm thinking of coaches, very successful coaches in my sports past, guys like Bill Parcells with the Giants, guys like John Tortorella who coached the Lightning for Winnet Cup back in 04. They had that certain – they didn't mind saying something to you know, maybe ruffle the feathers of their own staff or their own roster. Well, judges like guys, make his like, own staff run laps. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's something where you see the guys – guys – I've mentioned this on this show several times. You know, Guys like Urban Meyer where they came in on day one and it, you can tell they had a plan. You know, They come in with the binder and it's like this is our plan for success. We are going to follow this plan. And I feel like Joe Judge, you may not have the binder, but you can tell that this guy seems to have his eyes dotted and T's crossed already with things he wants to do. And that means saying things that need to be said, and even if it's behind closed doors or in a press conference or in a Zoom call. So, you know, I'm going to be very curious to see how long he hangs around with, quote unquote, dead wood from a staff standpoint going forward mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um so we both pick a win we have varying levels of confidence there but uh we both we're, we're both starting off one and oh the season we move to week two which is the thursday game just like three days later they travel to washington for thursday at eight twenty. tell me how you feel uh any other year other than this year i would have it as a loss in pen uh, you know, this is a game, you know, you spend a lot of time and a lot of energy preparing for week one. You know, you probably spend, you know, game planning more than you would for anyone just because you, quite frankly, you have more time to do it. Um, this game is like all of a sudden the turnaround time for everything, recovery, healing, rest, installing game plan, all that stuff comes at you so fast by basically, you know, you're, you know, and also they're playing the 430 game on Sunday. And if you think that's uh, no big deal, those three hours mean something in a coach's schedule and a plan for a whole week of how much recovery time, you know, this and that. I would say normally, you know, if this was Ben McAdoo as the coach or, you know, anybody, there's no way they have that turnaround time to go into 
you know, a division rival on the road, a team that's going to be kind of a hip pick to win the division and say to win. But I think this year is different. Again, I have to believe that Washington has an offense for me to be really afraid of. I mean, I, I know they have a good defense. I know the pass rush. You know, it's going to be the second week in a row they're going to have a really tough pass rush to deal with. I just have to see it to believe it that Washington's any good. And, you know, but neither, I mean, none, neither of these teams are Super Bowl teams to say, you know, oh, they're great teams. But consistency, that's usually what you don't see with teams at this kind of tier of talent level and expectation and all that. And I'm not ready to say Washington is – if I was doing the Just Redskins with the Just Washington football team podcast – I wouldn't have – I would be a crazy person to say this would be a win in pen because I just don't know about what my team is. So I'm looking at the opposite way. I'm going to think the Giants going to sneak out of here with a win when the thinnest of pencils. I think you know the, the short turnaround time is going to impact Washington just as much if not more than us. You know They, they start the season at home. They play San Diego. You know They win – a game like that, it would be kind of an emotional win because, you know, again, everybody, that first win of the year, you get very excited and stuff. And San Diego's an up-and-coming team as well. And they got to turn around fast also. I'm just not buying that they're consistent enough or good enough to kind of turn it on four days later and, and beat a team like the Giants. So I'm going to put by the thinnest of pencils, I'm going to have us as a winning pencil. So... I find this really interesting because uh, we both use the same phrase, I'll believe it when I see it, uh, but for different things. So I, I have this one as a loss in pen, um, and it's only partly to do with the short turnaround because, like you said, this does affect both of them. This isn't really much of an away game in terms of travel. So you know that's not really going to impact it a lot. And you know, like you said, you have so much time to prepare for these first two weeks it's not like this is a Thursday game in like week 17 where you can't spend some of your summertime preparing and then just adjusting after what you saw from week one. So I do think that some of this will be worked out, but I just think that scheme wise, this is tough. Uh, you know, the high flying offense is going to continue to be delayed on a short week and against a, frankly, in my opinion, on paper, a better defense. The giants aren't likely to be throwing 50 times per game again. So, you know, all these upgrades that they made to this offense is not likely to be showcased in this situation unless the offensive line is markedly better than what we expect. Well, let me ask you a question. Grub, let me stop you, stop you for one second. Do we ever want this offense to throw 50 times a game? Yes. Well, 50, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I would that's, like to see Daniel Jones throwing at least twice as much as he did last year. At the okay, very so, least. So if, if, if you see a stat line of... 29 for 40, you're okay with that? I mean, that, on, that's that's what you want out of your offense, I think, in today's NFL. I'm not going to say I'm okay with that. If Daniel Jones is playing like shit, the offensive line is playing like shit, then I – well, I guess 29 of 40, that's pretty good. But I'd be worried about him stepping back 40 times per game in certain situations based on offensive line and defensive pass rush. Well, let's let's just sense? say – yeah, I mean, let's just say, you know, the way they are designing this offense and let's let's assume that the offense is playing the way reasonable expectation what they should not 100 percent precision uh, execution and not ugh, the, you know, the offensive lines a complete sieve somewhere like acceptable range of 
the offense is doing what they're supposed to do. Should this offense be throwing the ball that much? Or is they, are they going to be a little more, again, having – and again, also assuming Saquon Barkley gets to a point where he's back to being, quote-unquote, healthy. Mm-hmm. Not that they're favoring him and babying him back, you know, slowly bringing him along to where he is. I mean, is this offense one that should be throwing the ball 40 times? Or are they going to be a little more in the, th- you know – 32-ish time per game and, and relying on other things. Well, there's two things I'm going to say here. The first, I yes. think, is obvious, but I'm just going to point it out. 29 of 40, it, it, those are numbers. You know, 35 times a game, those are numbers. There's no context. Uh, they shouldn't be throwing 35 three-yard passes. Um, you know, a, yeah, lot of of, a lot of, you know, th- I know you know that. I'm just, you know, stating you know, what they were throwing last year. Some of those passes were not even worth it. Um that's not going to happen this year, though. I mean, I, I don't all, think so either. Everything. Yeah. But right. yes, I think that you go out and you buy Kenny Galladay. You draft Kadarius Tony with your first pick. You still have Sterling Shepard under contract, under his extension. You still have Darius Slayton. Um, you know, you went out, you buy John Ross. You still have Dante Pettis as a holdover from last year. They put significant investment into it. You still have Evan Ingram, for that matter. You go out and buy Kyle Rudolph, who's a very good pass catcher as well. These things are not accidents, and these guys are not, you know, angle route guys. Not that they can't block, but these guys are paid this money to catch passes and catch passes downfield, not and catch and, and catch balls in motion. Yes, yeah, catch them in stride, so it's not five yards and the yak of zero. So, yes, this is an okay. offense that you want to see throwing thirty-five times a game. That means this we call, is why yeah. you pay that. If you if you're not going to do that, then they should have went out and bought a, the best blocking tight ends and the best. You know, they should have bought a new guard. You know, if you're not going to throw a whole bunch, that's fine. But there was no reason to spend money on your downfield weapons or draft a downfield weapon. It's it, that's a waste if you're not going to use it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I agree with you with that. And again, I don't think we're going to be as pass heavy, you know, high flying as some other teams are in the league. But I think, no, I don't think so either. But I, I think that's I think, where they want to get in, in the coming if, years. I think so too. I think if you plotted where we are and, and all the 32 offenses in the league, I think he would like to be on the other side, you know, on the, on the, on the throwing side of more than less, I guess I'm trying yeah. to say. Okay. That being said though, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, a really good Washington football team, defensive front I'm going to state now that I'm much lower than most people on the tandem of Chase Young and and, and Sweat I I, I know that they're very good players but we need to set the record straight here Andrew Thomas wiped the floor with Chase Young last season in the second game so further down the line when Chase Young is getting better and you know he's supposed to be really good I think he was wiped off the stat sheet yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my asterisks up there though, and it applies not only to the Andrew Thomases of the world, but it's gonna apply to all of these young guys who had a year basically of figure it out on your own. I think, I, I, dude, I I'm, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting exponential improvement from guys like him. You are talking about Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera as Chase Young's coaches, though. Well, that's true. <laughs> I, I'm not going to just I'm not going to just dismiss the number two overall pick. And those two high-quality coaches. And not only that, he was rotating in a defensive line with Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat. You know, 
this is a really good defensive line that he played with last year. So he had his chance to get his take. Right? There was no need for him to do it all the way that we think of Saquon Barkley in his first year as a running right. back. It's completely different. So I'm not saying that Chase Young or Montez Sweat aren't good players. They should be schemed for. But what I am saying is I don't think that the both of them are world beaters right now. They are names right now more than they are highlights. So just something to keep in mind. For me, the problem with Washington football team's defense against the Giants offensive line is that there are A and B level talent all over the depth chart for them. They are a deep defensive line, especially well, a deep defense, especially a deep defensive line. So it's not going to be pretty for any long developing plays downfield or in the running game for that matter. I mean, the middle with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Ioannidis and Tim Settle, that's those are good center guys, you know. To me, winning this game is going to be quick passes and intermediate routes, the best ways to pick up yards, um, and mostly mistake-free football, which for Daniel Jones, I will believe that when I see it. Um, you know, offensively, for the Washington did a pretty good job of boosting the weapons on offense. They brought in Fitzpatrick to make the right plays. He's just good enough to earn contracts for the next year and give, quite frankly, give false hope to teams. So he's not going to be the reason that Washington wins this game, uh, especially with the dumpster fire of the tackle situation, which is where they really fucked up. So now they are stuck with, it looks like, Charles Leno and, and draft pick Sam Cosme as your starters. And I don't think either one of them should be a starter in 2021. So much less in week two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I think that the Giants can force, between Patrick Graham, a bad tackle situation for Washington, and uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick just being himself, I think that they can force mistakes and stay in the game. I just think that I'm more worried about making mistakes on offense when we need to be scoring points, handing points to the defense. And for that, I have this as a loss in pen. I just... That's that's where it really hurts is is the mistake football. It would be too close of a game to make even a single mistake. Fair enough, I'll, I'll buy that. So you got us at two and zero. I've got us at one and one. Then we move on to week three. We're at home again versus Atlanta Sunday at one o'clock. How do you feel? Well, I know one thing. I'm going to be very tired because I have a six a.m. flight from Gainesville the night before to get into. Uh, to get to the Meadowlands, but it will be exciting for me because I'm keeping my Gator theme alive watching Kyle Pitts versus Kadarius Tony duke it out with each other. So that will be fun for me. Um, this is what I'm talking about where I just was talking about Washington not having that consistency to expect games they should win. And I absolutely feel this is kind of where, you know, maybe the clock strikes 12 a little early for the Giants because – if they win those first two games, you're going to hear, you know, this city all of a sudden, the Giants are back, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, Joe Judge is a god. Daniel Jones has figured it out, blah, blah, blah. It's still a team that needs work and is still, you know, getting itself into shape, you know, to you know, building their nucleus for the future. And this looks like a classic game where the second you start feeling good, the inconsistency, inconsistency comes in. And you lose. And I think, you know, it's 
irregardless of how good or bad Atlanta is, I think they lose this one. And I think they're going to lose it in Penn, unfortunately. Yeah, the old trap game. I could see that if if things fall the way that you have them going two and zero, and then hosting a, a an Atlanta team that I assume is going to be one and one at that point. I think they're going to mm-hmm. lose, win their first game against Philly because they suck, and then they're going to get their asses handed to them by Tampa uh, the following week. You know, I I think that that absolutely could happen, and I think that the players can get a bit ahead of themselves if things fall the way they do for you. For me, however, going one and one in the in a close loss to Washington the week before, they're not walking in too confident, but they are walking in confident. Uh, I have this as a winning pen. This to me, this is the debut of the offense that fans want to see, and as it's envisioned when guys were signed and drafted. Atlanta has what might be the worst defense in the NFL. Uh, they're not particularly strong anywhere. I don't know how they plan to match up in the secondary. Uh, you know, they have A.J. Terrell, Kendall Sheffield, and Fabian Moreau. Uh, but it better be creative because, you know, any combination of Galladay, Tony, Shepard, Slayton, and Ingram, I don't know. Like, there's going to be a mismatch in at least two places. Uh this one might even be the best game of Jones's career up to this point. I mean, that's how bad their secondary really looks on paper, provided the play calling caters for the pass and, you know, whatever. Uh, and and I think Barkley may have just as much success in office. Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler are the stars of the defensive front, and that's... Is that really that impressive, that the stars of the defensive front are Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler? Watch your mouth with Fowler. <laughs> I mean, at this point yeah. in his career, I mean, he's exactly. not on the upswing of his career. I mean, we know what Dante Fowler is now. He's not exactly. an NFL superstar. No, you know, no, not Defensively, all. we have to assume that Julio Jones is still in Georgia for the purpose of this exercise. So yeah. he's going to be opposite Calvin Ridley and next to the new addition, Kyle Pitts. I'm okay with the outside matchups there with Jones and Ridley with Jackson and Bradbury. That I'm okay with. I am not really sure how you defend Kyle Pitts. You know, we asked Mark McLeod what's the best way to defend against Kyle Pitts, and he says you don't. Um, that's not really good enough. That's not going to yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, so, the best the best defense we saw this year was a guy from Georgia, you know, headhunting him and knocking him out of the game. That was the best defense we saw all year. I mean, I I don't know what the Giants, but also I don't know what thirty one other teams are going to do. You know, we, we might see some defense be constructed that works and it becomes a copycat league, and other teams do it. Until then, I'd like to see you know it's a physical mismatch that could wreak havoc on us, especially in a position where. It seems like since 1946, the Giants have had trouble defending. So yeah, this it's true. A continuation of it also. What I expect, you know, and I have I have faith in Patrick Graham. I think the way that you defend Kyle Pitts in this scenario is you mix in physical man coverage against him, and then you use your deceptive zone looks to confuse Matt Ryan. You don't worry about Kyle Pitts so much as you try to trick the quarterback. Because he he can beat whoever in coverage, but if he doesn't understand the coverage, or if he's actually not open and the quarterback thinks he's open, it doesn't matter. And I think with the shitty offensive line that Atlanta has at left guard and right tackle, that'll be enough to fluster Matt Ryan into throwing when he's not sure or holding on to the ball because he's not sure. Well, this will be an interesting test to see what this coaching staff does and how they prepare and use film because you said it in the beginning of this section – they're playing Tampa Bay in week two, and Todd Bowles is an excellent defensive coordinator. 
And I think that's the, you know, in the second week of the season, you're going to see a really good defensive coordinator put on film maybe some elements of the blueprint of how you stop him going forward. So, if, you know, if, if they were playing, you know, Philly first or playing a, a team with a, a horrendous defense, there's not really much on film to say, well, that worked. But I think with, uh, with, with Todd Bowles is going to throw something at them that's going to, you know, throw off some timing or confuse, you know, pitch or something that we could use and, and kind of build off of. So I think that's an advantage for us. Yeah. Yeah. And just as a side note, Matt Ryan isn't and never has been Matty Ice. I mean, I I think he might be simultaneously one of the most underappreciated and one of the most overhyped quarterbacks at the same time. Yeah. I mean, two things keep him in the conversation when people talk about great quarterbacks, but he's not really a great quarterback. One, he got to a Super Bowl. And two, that enormous contract was one of those, well, you got to pay him type of situations. You know, a smart team like Tampa Bay had a similar situation with a guy like Jameis Winston. You know, of course, you know, they got a gift from the gods coming in with Tom Brady, but, you know, they they could have paid him and they didn't. And Atlanta felt like, well, what are we going to do if we don't? Yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan is just a professional choke artist, in my opinion. Uh, we well, watched, he's a, he's a, de- he's a decent quarterback, but he's, he's never really not, had good he's, coaches. He's certainly not elite. Yeah, you're right. All the coaches they've had, they've had you guys like Quinn, who are defensive-minded coaches, and they get to the Super Bowl with defense, and he's you know, decent. I mean, he's, you know, in, in that middle tier of, of quarterbacks. He's not someone you have to... Make she's not a game manager, but he's not great, and that's just what he is. And now he's getting older, and you know, it potentially may not have Julio Jones anymore, and that's gonna that's gonna impact this offense quite a bit. Oh, for sure. Um, that, and that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I got this one as a win in pen, and we're both looking at a two and one Giants team going into Week Four, where they go to Louisiana to play the New Orleans Saints. Sunday, 1 o'clock. How do you feel? Well, it would have been nice if this game was a week later since I'd be in New Orleans already for Florida LSU. But, you know, the NFL schedule gods and the college scheduling gods have yet to actually have a summit meeting and help me out. But that's okay. Um, New Orleans. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine with this team. You know, I'm, I'm assuming Jameis is going to be the, you know, the first crack at being the starter. I mean, my my note. One of my notes is, I don't know who the QB is, but whether it's Winston Hill or Simeon, for that matter. <laughs> I, I got a stat for you about Jameis Winston. That Jameis Winston has the most turnovers in the NFL since 2014 among active quarterbacks. Considering he didn't start one game last year and wasn't drafted until 2015. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Well, didn't I mean, like, we, find out like straight out of major league that he just needed glasses was like one of his problems. Um, yeah, that was one of the things that he needed glasses. But um, you know, this is he was a guy. Go even going back to the Florida State days. It just he had an arm and physical tools that he could just out physical defenses around him. When he got to the NFL, he realized that brains were pretty important. And to this point, he's not shown one. You know, 
He's like the equivalent of a guy in baseball who will strike out 240 times that might also hit 40 bombs. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately in in football, those 200 and, you know 200 strikeouts impact you a lot more than a random strikeout in the third inning of a game in March or, or April. Uh, so, yeah, I think he'll probably get the first crack at being the starting quarterback for this team. You know, obviously. It's a big transition year for them. With no, but you know, it might even be an improvement because Drew Brees basically, his arm was hanging by you know a thread last year. He couldn't throw downfield. He couldn't do any of the things that he used to be able to do. Um, but he's also, I think, with a you know a Patrick Graham defense, you know, can confuse a guy like him and cause him to make mistakes. I think this again, if this was 2020 or before. You know, I would have this as a loss in pen. We, we usually go to New Orleans and all of a sudden that's the 51-35 game, the shootout that we inevitably lose. You know, Eli has a great game, but also, you know, we lose because we can't stop anybody. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I think I think there's, you know, enough improvements to this team where they can go in and play a team that I think is going to be very good and win. And I'm going to put this one as a win in pencil. And we're going to be going into the quarter turn Three and one, leading the division. I also have this as a win in pencil. Three and one, going into the quarter turn. Um, I think that you know, going to New Orleans is always going to put you at a disadvantage, but I think the Giants can quiet the crowd with a slow run first approach to this game. Just kind of beat the crowd out of it. The Saints have a really good secondary. Um, C.J. Gardner, Marshawn Lattimore, Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams. And then they just drafted Paulson Adebo, who I, I do like a lot. Um, throwing is going to be tough sledding. But even that secondary is still going to struggle with the wide receiver talent that the Giants had. So it's not going to be impossible to throw. And ultimately, you know, I don't think that a Cam jo- Jordan, Malcolm Roach, David Onimata, Marcus Davenport is a scary defensive front. You know, I think they're going to be able to run pretty fine you know and I, Jones will have time eventually to let concepts develop downfield because the defensive pass rush isn't going to be very impressive you know especially if a running game has been established so I think a steady dose of Barkley and Booker is just what's needed to get you know linebackers to creep up a little bit and the star studded secondary to loaf over time throughout the game um, I was say I'm looking at the schedule you know five of our First, um, five of our first six games this year are on artificial turf, and I'm thinking, you know, with you know, we have definitely upgraded the speed on this offense. You know, guys like Galladay and and Kadarius Tony and even Ross and them and Saquon should be back and stuff. That I think that's an interesting, you know, well, it's a subplot, but something to consider that it's a lot easier to run on turf than it is on grass. You know, and we play on this shitty field in, in Washington for week two, but I think you're going to see the maximum use of the speed of this team early on in the season. So when you're going back talking about their secondary, I think that comes into play also. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really hard. There's so many things you can do with guys like Tony mm-hmm. uh, and, and Slayton for that matter and Ingram. You know, they can be really creative and use his speed to their advantage. I mean, even just simple wide receiver screens, which I 
don't think that we've thrown that many. I don't think we threw any last year. I don't. I can't remember one. Not last year. What, I mean, two years what ago. What things we were calling for? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just simple things like that. Tunnel screens and, and you know, shit. Even bubble screens for Barkley. You know, for that matter. Uh, obviously lacking last year. All those things are ways to get speed involved without having to let it be a long developing thing. You know, you just put the ball in the hands of playmakers. Um, I think you're right. I think they'll find ways to maximize speed, but I still stand by my statements of the downfield stuff happening later on in the season and not early on, just based on the defensive fronts that they're facing. I don't think they're going to put Daniel Jones or the offensive line, for that matter, in a situation for failure. You know, they're going to game plan to win. Um, as far as New Orleans goes offensively, you know, like we said, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. You know, by first crack, I think I agree, Jameis Winston. But we're now at week four, and so first crack is preseason training camp. So. If he is underperforming for three straight weeks and didn't have a particularly good training camp, I don't know if Taysom Hill becomes the quarterback or Trevor Simeon for that matter. I, I, I really have no idea. But for all intents and purposes, you're playing against Sean Payton when you play against New Orleans Saints. That's the issue here. Winston is better than he's given credit for, but outside of Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, there's really not a lot of people on this offense that's going to make plays for him. You know, Part of the reason... New Orleans has been so successful for the last like 20 years is because Drew Brees is basically an offensive coordinator on the field in perfect tune with what Sean Payton has drawn up. So he's out there just doing things on the fly. Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, not, not, none of them are that guy. Um, so they're not going to be maximizing the talent on their field on the fly like that. They're going to have to just stick to the game plan and do the best they can. Um, and on top of that, I think it's going to be particularly hard for them to do it against Patrick Graham. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm giving him a lot of credit based off of one year, and maybe that's incorrect of me, but I don't know any other way. I can't just dismiss how well he did last year's defensive coordinator. I, I am cautiously optimistic about Patrick Graham. I mean, I can't dismiss the concerns when he was hired and all of a sudden after one year where it was a, we overachieved based on the talent level, but you know, let's not get crazy. This wasn't, you know, this was not the 85 bears. Um, you know, now with some better pieces to work with and not any real obvious holes anymore, we expect to see the combination of, you know, building on what we built last year and, and, and employing new things with better talent. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I'm not. I don't think we're going to be on week seven, spending an hour and a half on 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 the podcast saying should they fire this guy or was a big mistake or or what. But you know, to to squarely say, oh, we got this. We have Patrick Graham. Not quite there just yet. Trending towards it, but not there just yet. Yeah, I'll say that. You know, I I don't want to be. Using Patrick Graham is the reason that we are winning in pen or pencil throughout this whole exercise. But, you know, going up against Jameis Winston, I absolutely think is a major factor, you know. Um, so I stand by it for this one. I have this as a win in pencil. I feel pretty good about it. But anytime you travel to New Orleans is, is rough. 
Um, oh, sure. Absolutely. That's... And, and they're not a team that is without talent, especially in that secondary. I mean, if we go into this game looking to throw 50 times and try and go downfield for every single throw, they're going to be, you know, swimming upstream here. Would you say, along with Denver and Seattle, are, those are the three toughest places to play, regardless of how good or bad the team it actually is? And Kansas City. Kansas City too, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I uh, you know, I've again the Giants have been playing there forever, and every time they do, something fluky happens. It's a a crazy game, and they they pull defeat out of the jaws of victory time and time again. I think Green Bay is probably a, a tough one, also. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Green Bay is. It just seems like well, Green Bay is usually pretty good. I mean, how often is yeah, not that I guess good? That's true. You know, it's just. It's just, you know, the Superdome is a very, very loud building. I don't think, have you ever been there, Grump? I have not, no. It's it's very, very loud. Just the acoustics of it are very loud. Uh, you know, Denver's got the altitude issue. And Seattle, again, the way the building is constructed, sound just stays in the building. I was there. Arrowhead, too. Yeah, I mean, I was at a soccer game in Seattle about four or five years ago, and there might have been maybe twenty five thousand people as opposed to seventy, and it sounded like you know it was a jet engine in there. It's just the way the building is. So, um, yeah, it's just it's not easy, and it's just you know we're getting these tough games out of the way early, I guess too. You know, uh, I I'd rather play there early in the season where you know New Orleans is trying to figure things out, and who knows, Jameis might build momentum and become by. You know, week eleven, one of those you know comeback player of the year stories, or, or you know feel good stories, or maybe it's you know Hill all of a sudden becomes this gadgety quarterback that they made work, um, or they could just suck. We we don't we don't know, but <laughs> I'd rather catch teams we don't know what their identity is early than kind of understanding where they are later. Yeah, I uh, I guess I agree with all of that. Um, it's good that we get the Superdome out of the way early. Uh, we, I mean, we'll still have later on trips to Kansas City, uh, but yeah, but that's Kansas. I mean, it doesn't really matter where we're playing Kansas City. I mean, I hate to you know throw out spoilers, but I might be looking for a magic marker for that game, yeah. and not not in a positive way. Yeah, well, well, we'll get to that when we get to that, which will not be next week. Next week will uh, actually it will be next week. That's a that's a next week episode. Wonderful. <laughs> How perfect is that? Well done, dude. That is is that week eight? Um, yeah, we, we call that a tease in the business. Yeah, yeah. That's week eight. So that's a, a Monday night game at Kansas City. This November first should be a little uh, a little chilly, maybe. Yeah, maybe a little frost. In Kansas. Looks like a yeah recipe. Uh, that's in Missouri. But it's fine then. Sorry. Yeah. I, I just didn't finish the word Kansas City. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I was just making sure you weren't thinking that the game was in New York because you were saying it was no, going to be frosty. No, no, no. It'll be, uh, it could be potentially out there. You know, it gets cold early out there and uh, <laughs> might be tough. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's that's going to do it for this episode. We are both 3-1 and one going into next, in, into week five. Um so and, I will keep track of all the stuff and we will revisit it, you know, in the regular season when it comes time for those games. 
and for the record, I don't think this has to be said, but I, I'll speak for Grump on this one. I'm not going out on a limb. We would both be ecstatic oh, at 3-1. Yeah. We would be over the moon. Three, I, if we start the year 1-0, and you can book it. I will tweet out. It feels good to be in first place because I will say. Oh, God. Hey, it's good to be in first place right now and we're tied. Yeah. Imagine if we actually win a game. If we're 3-1 – even even if the entire NFC East is three and one, and we're just as tied up as everybody else, I'll be I'll be thrilled. I'll that be would be shocking. Yeah. That would be shocking if this division is four three and one teams. That'd be amazing. But, well, I mean, it won't happen. But I know. Just, it, it, regardless of where their standing actually is, if the Giants are three and one, I will be th- so thrilled. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> um, I like it. But I know where to end, and that's right now. So we will we will see you all next week, um, where we will continue from weeks five through eight. In the interim, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan, where you know there is so much excitement right now. We have uh, I have five events to go to this week. I have two more Rays Yankee games at Yankee Stadium. We have Knicks. Game five at the Garden on Wednesday. Heading down to Tampa on Saturday for game four, Lightning Hurricanes, and then hopefully a game seven for the Knicks on Sunday back at the Garden. And also, shout out to my cousin John, Oceanside Red Sox Little League. I'll be there Thursday night. I'm excited to see him. I had a big interview with him this week. He said, I asked him what position he plays. He said, I don't know. So... That's what you get with five-year-olds. They just run after the ball. I'm very excited to see them. So <laughs> go Oceanside Red Sox. There you go. Whatever. What you <laughs> said. Um, I don't have anything crazy going on because I don't care about baseball or basketball. So I will just be talking football. So you can follow me there. And as always, the show is on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Google Play, everywhere. It's every, wherever you get your podcasts, yeah. you guys, you listen to podcasts, you got them from somewhere, wherever you got your other ones from, just search Just Giants Podcast. And uh should be there. And if it's not, come yell at us and we'll put it there. Yeah. Say, what the hell, guys? Wake up. Call us like, liars publicly on Twitter and we will right. fix it publicly it's, so that everybody knows it's there. As well. It's like we yell at the sponsors. Guys, what the hell? Yeah. Why aren't you paying for us yet? Yeah. So until then, we, you know, we got nothing. Yeah. All right, everyone, we will see you next week. Go Giants. Go Giants. Let's go Giants!